0: You're listening to the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame podcast, hosted by Taylor Allen.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame podcast. I am your host, Taylor Allen. And this week I have some good news and I have some bad news for you guys. So I'm going to start with the good news. The good news is my guest this week is fantastic. He is one of the greatest Winnipeg Blue Bomber wide receivers of all time. He is a three-time Grey Cup champion, and he was the CFL's most outstanding player in 1986. Ladies and gentlemen, James Murphy is on the podcast this week, and we had a fantastic discussion. We talked about him growing up in Florida, playing college ball at Utah State, his time in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings and the Kansas City Chiefs before making his way to to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 1983, and his fantastic run all throughout the 80s in Winnipeg, like I said before, involving those three Grey Cup titles and winning the Most Outstanding Player Award in 1986. As for the bad news, the bad news is this week is the last episode of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame podcast for now. So we've gotten a good response. From the show and there is interest in making a second season happen we are currently in the works of trying to figure out how we're going to make it happen but it will happen however i just cannot tell you when the second season will begin production and when it will be released but i will guarantee though that there will be future episodes moving forward i just can't tell you when so you might have to be a little bit patient with me here but i think it'll be worth the wait as there's lots of interest there we have some more guests that we'd love to talk to and i think it's gonna all work out great okay so anyways back to james murphy we had a really good talk he has a fan he is a fantastic storyteller and this is a great hour show And i think you guys are really gonna enjoy it, especially you diehard winnipeg blue bomber fans okay so that's enough from me and let's get right into things here on episode 13 featuring bombers legend james murphy So, James, when you first arrived in Winnipeg to try out for the Bombers, did you ever envision that you'd s- spend the rest of your football career here and end up living in Winnipeg?
0: No, uh, <laughs> no, Taylor. What I my my plans was to uh, to come up and audition, uh, hopefully horn uh, my skills to be able to go back down and play in the National Football League. Been a tenth round draft choice in nineteen eighty one out of Utah State, uh, having a very very uh, successful very good college career Uh, and growing up in Florida uh, watching the NFL as a kid you know my my childhood dreams was to play in the National Football League so basically I just wanted to come up and and uh, see what it was all about and and uh, hey uh, I guess as, as they say the rest is history.
1: So what did you know about Winnipeg when you first got
0: here? absolutely nothing absolutely <laughs> nothing I I was flying and and uh, on my way here and I'm looking I'm looking down and I, I was looking for igloos <laughs> uh, seriously I, I really thought that uh there should, there would be igloos and and just snow all over the place growing up in Florida I really didn't get an opportunity to to learn a lot of uh, Canadian history mm-hmm. uh, you hear a lot about uh it's funny because I would hear songs on the radio about uh, Burton Cummins or uh, Monty Hall, and never, never in my, my wildest dream, or Lauren Green, and never, you know, think uh, I thought they were just regular Americans. Uh, then to be able to come up to Winnipeg and play, and then to hear about uh, such talented people that was from Winnipeg and, and, and Canada, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, amazing.
1: So what's kept you in Winnipeg after your playing career?
0: Well, obviously, uh, there's always a woman involved. <laughs> uh, my wife, she's uh, she just retired from the RCMP um, uh, last May. And um, so we uh, we do travel quite a bit. We, um, uh, I'm still working for the Manitoba Construction Sector Council, and what I do is go to high schools and, and promote the construction industry, try to uh, get uh, youth uh, um, excited or interested in, in trades. So, uh, basically, that's pretty much keeping me here. My my kids live in Las Vegas. Uh, Don't get a chance to go down and swim as much. But uh, eventually, once I'm retired, I like to sort of, my wife and I like to sort of try to go back and forth. Did
1: you get into the trades um, growing up, or is that something you just got into after your playing career?
0: It was something that I got into after my playing career. I was uh, after my playing career was over. I had an opportunity to open a business at the Forks. It was called Dockside Twenty One Seafoods, and did that for about ten years. Uh, I learned a lot about business. Uh, playing after playing professional football, I really didn't have any other skills outside of. Uh, Understanding what it takes to be itself a hard worker, um, and I just sort of fell into this opportunity to own a business at the Forks, and uh, lasted for about ten years. I was sole proprietor, and and so it's sort of sort of uh, restaurant business is a tough tough gig, and uh, it sort of kind of got um, uh, kind of got burnt out and. Uh, So I ended up, uh, uh, a buddy of mine, a friend of mine, became the uh, president of the Manitoba Home Builders Association, and he offered me an opportunity to come and uh, be a program coordinator. At the time, there was a plumbing shortage in Winnipeg, and they wanted to try and uh, speed up that, uh, uh, get more plumbers into the residential sectors. So uh, that gave me an opportunity to come in and I uh, was working as a matter of fact that uh, Red River College over on, on Notre Dame campus is where, where our program was uh, out of. And so I did that and I liked it. And uh, also coached for a couple of years. I coached back with uh, uh, doing the Jeff Rainbow uh, era and it wasn't a fun time of my life. And that's where after those two years, I sort of realized uh, that I, I really would rather work with individuals, youth, especially young people, mm-hmm. to be able to try to inspire uh, professional football players. They're pretty much inspired already. Uh, young people, uh, they're looking for opportunities and, and need somebody to uh, sort of encourage them and, and inspire them, and and uh, I was better at that.
1: During your playing career, did you put much thought into what you're going to do after your playing days, or is that something that you kind of keep in the back of your mind because you're so busy being a professional athlete? Uh,
0: uh, again, that's I, I feel uh, at. Now, uh, knowing what I know now, I am really uh, sort of uh, was at a dis- disadvantage by not ha- knowing what I wanted to do after football. I, I thought I was going to play football for the rest of my life. I Just that naive to uh, not understand that uh, someday it was going to come to an end. Uh, so it was, it was very disappointing. It was a very bitter taste that I left in my mouth for a few years. It took me a while to... To, to be able to get over it and understand that there was more to life than, than football. And, uh, uh, but I was very, um, you know, just fortunate to be able to have an upbringing or professional attitude about uh, uh, life in general, because football and life is a direct parallel. And the things that I learned on the football field, uh, especially from uh, the coaching staff, like Cal Murphy, these people taught me how to be a professional. And so I knew that if I go and apply myself the same way I applied myself as a football player, that I had an opportunity to still be able to, to uh, you know, do something positive with my life. And so right now I feel very good about my life and where it's going and, and then the people that's in my life.
1: That's awesome. Do uh, some of your people back home in Florida think you're I mean you, you had your wife obviously but do they think like you're crazy for living in cold Winnipeg when you'd be living in beautiful <laughs> sunny Florida
0: absolutely absolutely as a matter <laughs> of fact I just I didn't get a chance to go but just had my 40th high school reunion oh wow and uh, you know I get comments uh, on the social media all the time uh, people looking at me and said gee you still look pretty young is that it, it must be the cold Canadian <laughs> weather that's keeping you so young and so, uh, but I do have a chance. My family is still down in Florida, down, uh, it's called The Land, Florida, uh, it's, uh, in between Daytona Beach and Orlando. Uh, so we still got a place that we go down, and I don't get a chance as much to get down as much as I, as we used, I used to, but, uh, uh, but it's always going to be home, and, and I can, I'm, I'm thinking maybe in the next couple, three years to be able to spend more time down there.
1: So, growing up in Delano, Florida, how did you get into football? I mean, maybe those Miami Dolphins teams in the, in the 70s with Don Shula in the perfect season in 72. Was that something to do with getting you into the sport?
0: Absolutely. You're you, you, uh, bang on because uh, as a young, red-blooded American boy growing up in Florida, all of my uh, uh, neighbors uh, – That's what we wanted to do. We would watch on Sundays uh, Paul Warfield, Bob Greasy, Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, uh, the Dolphins, uh, as you mentioned, that 72 team. It was very inspiring, especially for a 12-year-old. And so after games uh, on Sunday, we would go out and and I would want to be Paul Warfield. Uh, He was one of my idols, also like Otis Taylor. And um, I just really, uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of height but I could run and, uh, and I had a little bit uh, confidence in my hands. So yeah, I, I think it was the Miami Dolphins that really inspired me to want to play. Although I had an opportunity to, I uh, ran a track and I played baseball uh, in high school. I played against uh, some great big guys, uh, Tim Raines from Montreal, uh, as oh, wow. as well. he, was, uh, he was a track star, also a football star and a baseball star. Uh, Chipper Jones is from my area. Uh, Boston Red Sox used to back in the '40s and '50s used to uh, train in my home hometown, uh, and Stetson University is a big baseball town in my hometown. So there's, they put out a lot of great baseball players, but some, some uh, uh, somewhere along the lines, I, I I wanted to be a football player. I don't know if it was just a just a, you know just, I don't know it's just something that I wanted to to do and. But looking back on it, uh, I really think I wish I would have pursued uh, baseball a little bit more, especially after I see, uh, you know, the longevity that uh, it will create. But you know what? I have no regrets about uh, my career in football.
1: So even though you had such an amazing career in football, you you wish you played baseball a little more?
0: I I, I really do. I really do. I was a pretty good outfielder. I can run. I can lay the ball down and and, uh, beat out uh, uh, um, bunts and... And had a good arm, and it was just because of I guess my hometown. It was just a baseball town, and um, and I had some really really good coaches back in high school. I played Bay Ruth, uh, uh, um, little league, and high school baseball. So it was just uh, just something that we did uh, I, I, after school. It was just my mom. And I really have to credit my mom and my dad by by keeping me busy in sports, and I have to really. Uh, you know, just sports really gave me the sort of identity that I needed to be able to uh, figure out who who I was and 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 keep me off the streets. And I mean, it wasn't always easy. It was a it was a lot of, uh, you know. Sometimes you don't want to go to practice. Sometimes, uh, and I, I remember this one story where my. Uh, in baseball practice with my dad. Uh, My dad used to work out of town every day and one day I didn't wanna go to uh, practice. I came home from school, got on my bike and I was riding around and little did I know that my dad had came home and and he wanted to go uh, to my practice. My dad had came home early and was gonna go and check me out in practice and I wasn't there. And so he went and, and uh, he saw me, he knew where I would be up at the community center messing around and joking around like 12 year olds do. And he saw me and I saw, once I saw his truck coming, I knew I was in trouble. So <laughs> he, he came and he he saw me and said, hey, where are you You're supposed to be at baseball practice? I said, yeah. I said, well, uh, and I was on my bike and he had a pickup truck. And I said, oh yeah, okay. And I thought I was going to be able to just throw my bike on the back of his pickup truck. He said, you, you better beat me to practice. <laughs> and lo and behold, I did. And, uh, so that was something that I knew after then. That was sort of the how it started to take uh, a sports and, uh, seriously.
1: So you talked earlier about your, your college career, and find it interesting how someone from Florida winds up at Utah State. So what's mm-hmm. the story behind
0: that? Well, my high school coach, high school football coach, and my college football coach played together at Kansas. Uh, Jim Bowl was my high school football coach, and uh, Bruce Snyder uh, was my college coach at Utah State. Bruce is uh, Bruce coached uh, Arizona State. That Jake Plummer, you might even remember Jake. Okay, yeah. But I came out. Uh, <laughs> uh, he also was a very good friend of uh, John Robinson and, and coached with the Rams. But uh, my my high school coach uh, convinced me to um, to go to Utah State. I wanted to go to wanted to play in the Big Ten, and uh, but Utah State really highly recruited me. I did get some offers uh, from from Florida State and Miami, and at the time um, at, at Miami uh, they wanted they was recruiting my high school quarterback and a linebacker. And they they said to me that if uh they signed the linebacker and the quarterback that uh they're bring me along as a package deal. <laughs> I wasn't very happy about that. So uh uh Utah State really, really were highly recruiting me and so I thought this was a, a good opportunity and once I once I um got out there and saw how beautiful uh, the Rocky Mountains was, I was just sold on it. So in your
1: senior season, you're actually second in the, in the nation in uh, receiving, weren't you?
0: As a matter of fact, uh, my, my junior year, it was uh, had a bit of a, a saga, a saga, uh, as you would say, uh, coming out of Utah State. Uh, my third year, normally normally you get a, a red shirt year. Mm-hmm. And um, so my first year, I didn't really play at all. The second year I came and I, and I had a pretty good year. We had some really good receivers ahead of me. My third year, I uh, that's when I really caught on. I uh, was a third leading receiver in the nation, and um, then my fourth year, uh, I was the second leading receiver in the nation, and, and I missed that by one, one catch, one or two catches. And I declared myself uh, a free agent, you know, and, and I, looking back, hindsight again, I, I lost my father in my, my second year in college, so I didn't really get the sort of uh, um, I guess you would say, the advice, fatherly advice, and looking back on it, I wish I had stuck it out for another year. So that senior year, I had a great season. You're right. Uh, um, We had a quarterback by the name of um, Bob Galliano. He he went to Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Hippel. I don't know if you remember Eric Hippel. He played for the Detroit Lions for about five or six years, highly recruited. Also, I played at Utah State with a guy by the name of uh, Craig Bradshaw. He was Terry Bradshaw's younger brother. Oh wow! I and mean, he was a big, tall, strong uh, quarterback who can who can really sling it. But uh, uh, so and we was uh, it was a pass happy offense. So I got an opportunity to catch a lot of footballs. Uh, I was uh, uh, all American uh, at Utah State, and and uh, so when it came time to uh, uh, I declared my, my senior year, my fourth year. I declared myself uh, a senior, uh, sort of late because the scouts started looking at players beforehand. Uh, the people who they thought was was seniors, and they didn't really think I was a senior. But this agent convinced me to come out, and and I didn't really expect to get drafted, but uh, ended up still getting drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. And there's a story behind that as well. But uh, ended up getting va- drafted in the tenth round with the, with the Vikings, and and. Uh, and that started uh, me off to, on my uh, professional football career.
1: So, even though you're second in the nation in receiving, you didn't think you're going to get drafted by an NFL team?
0: No, because I, uh, because I didn't come out, I, I wasn't supposed to come out that year. Uh, most oh, okay. of the scouts thought, thought I had one more season. And, and normally uh, the scouts uh, start scouting seniors about a year before. So, oh, they were okay. thinking that I was a, really a junior. Uh, and uh, which I really was, uh, because of, uh, because of the rest year, mm-hmm. uh, and then then uh, this for whatever reason this this agent convinced me that I should go pro, and uh, he said with the stats you had a great two great years you should go pro and and I uh, ended up uh, declaring myself uh, uh, a uh, you know fourth year it really disappointed a lot of people in in, in Logan Utah Utah State the coaches and. But I thought at the time I was doing what's best for for, for me and my family, And uh, but in hindsight, looking back on it, I wish I had stayed uh, for one more year.
1: Do you remember what you were doing the day of the draft and when you found out the Vikings picked you?
0: Yeah, I remember. I remember I was standing and uh, living in a house with a couple of teammates, um, and I was, uh, uh, the first day went by and, and I didn't get drafted, and, and the other guys didn't get drafted in, in my house, and. They was expected to go as well, and so I was um, sort of disappointed after the first day. Uh, second day rolled around, and and um, again, I'm sitting around waiting, and you know, and I kind of decided, because decided it was getting up to the ninth, and going into the tenth round, and I said, you know what, I'm going to McDonald's to uh, grab me something to eat, some lunch, <laughs> and as I was walking out of the door, the phone rang, and it was uh, actually the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Frank Gillum phoned uh, me. Frank was a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, uh, played for Bud Grant at the time. And so I uh, got the phone call, and, and uh, it was quite, uh, I mean, it was I, I, it was a great feeling to be able to, to uh, you know, be drafted into the National Football League. It's something that I wanted to do as a kid. But it was kind of disappointing that, the two, my two roommates didn't get drafted, and they was receivers as well, and they was legitimate uh, um, uh, 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 seniors, mm. so they didn't go, and 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 I got an opportunity to go, and it was just, it was a great feeling.
1: And Bud Grant, used the coach of the Vikings at that time, correct?
0: But Bud was, a, and there's a, a story behind that as well, Bud was the coach at the time. And so uh, I uh, I ended up signing, uh, I think I signed for about a, f- a $5,000 signing bonus, and they wanted to sign me. This was back in 1981 to a, um, and, and, uh, Minnesota was probably one of the cheapest teams at the time. <laughs> oh, but anyway, they uh, was going to give me a $50,000, $60,000 contract, and I said, okay, i sign it. So, I get a training camp and uh, having a really good training camp, uh, just sort of in awe, you know, with all of these guys Ahmad, Rashad, Mm Samuel White, Terry LeCount, some of the greatest uh, receivers uh, to play in the National Football League. I'm watching these guys and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, just wow, I'm here. I'm in the National Football League. And I would see the Silver Fox with Bud Grant Walker back and forth, and he would come over and say, and, and I was a sort of a uh, 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 flashy receiver, wristbands, and let the women's socks are high, white shoes, and just and that's uh, not Bud style. That's not Bud <laughs> style. And I learned that very quickly. <laughs> I learned it very quickly. Uh, Amari Child came up to me one day and said, "Hey, you're gonna have to get rid of those white shoes." Bud don't like that. And uh, when I put the black shoes on, I was just so disappointed. <laughs> I didn't I didn't feel as fast. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, uh, having a very good camp. And uh, I thought I was uh, gonna make the team. And one day at practice, I'm standing there and uh, having a pretty good practice, and I see Bud over at the fence talking to uh, this man, this this black man, and at the time I didn't know who he was. And uh, talking going on, back and forth, back and forth. And I was at the spot, that last spot receiver was between me and a young guy by the name of Leo Lewis Jr. So uh, Leo was a little smaller than me, and and um, and uh, but he was a pretty good receiver. I was kind of impressed with him. And, but I was having a good camp, and I was a, he was a free agent. I was a draft choice. Mm. So, uh, but at the end of the training camp, uh, Bud called me into his office and said, uh, "We gotta, we're gonna release you. We gotta cut you." And you know, so I so. Well, okay, I'm just gonna go up to Winnipeg and have a trial. So I come up to Winnipeg and. And lo and behold, I, I never knew that Bud played play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers or the history of Bud in, in Winnipeg. So I'm looking, and I'm going through the uh, program, uh, a bomber uh, uh, press guide, and I'm looking, and I see Leo Lewis. Leo Lewis. who is Leo Lewis? It turned out that the man that the Bud, the black man the Bud was talking to was Leo Lewis Sr. Mm. Uh, and uh, Leo Lewis Jr. is the guy that I was competing against. And uh, so it sort of made sense to me. After a little while, I caught on. Oh, that guy was—that was the great Leo Lewis, <laughs> and I'm competing against his son. So I see why I'm in Winnipeg. <laughs> but it's just—it's—it's it's so, you know, why you know Winnipeg? is just—I don't know. It was just really, uh, really funny. And but even uh, Winnipeg, uh, coming out of high, coming out of college, uh, uh, my agent—the agent that convinced me to come out of uh, to, to go to the draft was uh, he was a good friend of Paul Robson, who was the general manager right, of okay. uh, the bomber. So he convinced me to come to uh, me and my room- roommates at the time to drive down to, to uh, California to uh, to try out for the Bombers, and this was before the National Football League draft, and and, and I didn't really, and that was probably the first time that, that I heard of Winnipeg, and mm. although at Utah State we had guys by the name of Rob Smith and uh, Ken Shinconi, uh, two Canadian players that, uh, uh, that was at Utah State, and so that was really the first time I started to hear about the Canadian Football League, because uh, there were two offensive linemen, uh, Kevin Powers, another one, played for Ottawa. Uh, but anyway uh, we're down in uh, California and I'm just you know one of the best receivers in college and and a lot of these guys are coming off the street and I'm just running by these guys and just, just just catching bombs after bombs after <laughs> bombs and, and after the the tryout was over uh, Paul Robson called me aside and and said hey James we want to sign you to a contract we want we'll give you $5,000 and $50,000 contract and and I said thank you very much Mr. Robson I really appreciate the opportunity but uh, uh, I want to see if I can want to see if I can give a shot in the National Football League. He said, "Well, if, if any time, if you, you know, if things don't work out, to uh, you know, you can give us a call." Thank you very much. And I thought that was going to be the end of it. And again, so it just sort of ties back in after I was cut from the the, the Vikings the first time, that to, to be able to uh, my agent phone Paul up right away, and I was up on a plane that next day to Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And uh, but things didn't it didn't stop there, right? It was, uh, I was up here for about two weeks in September of 1982, and I had a good little warm-up, and it was just so different, because it was the first time I was in a CFL camp, and I was used to getting, you know, free uh, shorts and shoes and shirts and anything I wanted when I was in the Vikings. I got here, they was just, they gave me one pair of uh, socks <laughs> and an old pair of shoes, and I'm like,
1: What is this? What <laughs> Were they white shoes at least? Well, um, uh,
0: yeah, they were. Okay, they there were. you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were at least white shoes. But at the same time, I was sort of disappointed. But at the same time, uh, you know, I was enjoying myself being here because I, I did recognize, uh, you know, Joe Poplowski and Rick Howes, Dita Brock. Mm-hmm. Dita was just amazing uh, at the time. Was, uh, you know, but at the same time, my heart was still in the National Football League. And so uh, after about two weeks, I think the Bonds was just going in, getting ready to get in, go into the playoffs. And uh, this was in 1981, and, and uh, I said, you know what? They said, well, you know what, James, we want to sign you for next year. I said, well, okay, well, we'll see. So I, I flew home, and uh, while I'm home waiting, the NFL obviously just started in September. I'm home, I'm outside raking a yard, and and uh, my agent phones me. He phones and says, hey, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs want to give you a trial. Oh, really? okay. So, uh, so you got to leave tomorrow. So get to the airport and I get to the airport, and, and I'm fly my, flying uh, to Kansas City. Once I get to—but uh, uh, there's a, there's a, a layover in, in Atlanta. So I'm flying to uh, Kansas City. Uh, as we're taxiing into Atlanta, I hear over the intercom on the airplane that uh, Mr. James Murphy, uh, could you please stay on uh, the plane? Mr. Tom Bratt with the Atlanta Falcons uh, is here to see you. I'm thanking Atlanta Falcons. Falcons. I'm on my way to Kansas City, so I stay on and and, and uh, as, as um, uh, plane empty. This guy comes to me and tells me his name is Tom Brass, with the general manager of Atlanta Falcons, and he talked to my agent and he want to take me. They want to sign me, so I get off the plane with this guy and, and go to Swanee, Georgia, Atlanta Falcons training camp facilities. And uh I'm just shaking my head, like, "Oh, okay, so I get there and, and uh and uh they sign me to a contract. I'm there for two weeks, and a linebacker get hurt somebody get hurt and, and they have to uh they have to release me. so here I am, released again, uh so I fly back home to Florida, just really disappointed. a week later, uh my agent phone me again and tell me, "Okay, uh Kansas City wanted to bring you out again." So I get on the plane. This time we go to Kansas City. I run for Marv Levy, run a 40, and they like my speed, right? Caught some passes. They like my hand. So they signed me to a, uh, uh, for the rest of the year, a one year contract. And so I ended up playing for Kansas City, uh, mainly returning punts and kickoffs, and uh, uh, played a little bit backup receiver. And again, it was to be able to get into my first game as a rookie. Uh, lining up at receiver. And I, I remember the first time I, I lined up and I looked across from me and there was Lester Hayes of the uh, Oakland Raiders, probably one of the finest, nastiest cornerbacks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was just so happy it was a run play that I didn't have to <laughs> uh, catch a pass. And so, uh, yeah, and after uh, I was there for about the, uh, for the rest of the year and went into the following season in Kansas City. Uh, then I was released again in training camp and uh, again uh, want to pick the doors was open Pro robson and welcomed me back and, and I was so uh, I think I even cried thinking that you know what uh, this politics of football and I really want to play how come I'm not getting an opportunity to play I, was, I, I know I was better uh, than the receivers that he had there but for some reason I just uh, things just wasn't working out for me. So I figured to come back up to Winnipeg and and, and give it a, give it a, my best shot and, and and that's what I did.
1: Cause you had a solid year as a like kick returner as well. I was looking at the stats; you were eleventh yeah. in the NFL, I think, in
0: uh, average return. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the year, were you not surprised that they weren't bringing you back? Well, I, I, well, they they brought me back for training camp the following season, and they uh, they cut me. They they drafted uh, again a, a receiver out of Tennessee. Uh, I can't think of the fellow's name, and he was decent. He was okay, but I thought I was better. Uh, uh, but for whatever reason, I did not fit into the, their, their scheme. They had a lot of uh, big receivers, uh, J.T. Smith, uh, Henry Marshall. These guys was well over six foot, and I, 5'11 uh, and three quarters. Uh, but I could catch the ball, and at that time, you I, I guess I broke in just before uh, the era of Mark Duper and Mark Clayton with the Miami Dolphins. A little smaller receivers, you get the ball to them quickly because that's what my that was my uh, mo. I was catch the ball, a hit screen, and I can run with it. And uh, uh, but the, uh, but I didn't I didn't I wasn't a prototype receiver, and so that's how come. Actually, the Canadian Football League was a better game for me, right? A bigger field, uh, wider field, uh, bigger balls. So it was it was just, it was a natural fit for me, and, and I think that's why when I got up here and really started playing, that things just, uh, um, things really worked out for me. As we talked about earlier, about uh, catching a whole lot of footballs at Utah State. I was doing the same thing that I was did at Utah State catching little hip hitch passes and running them 40, 50, 60 yards for touchdowns. And so that really fit into the scheme of things uh, here in Winnipeg.
1: Because that's not the case for lots of American players. I mean, they, they could be fantastic college or even NFL players, and they come up to Canada and just whatever reason, the rules are different or whatever, and their their skills just don't translate to the Canadian game.
0: That That's right. Yeah, and and, and again, that translation is it's is, is not easy. Uh, but... To me to be able to watch guys like Poplowski and and, and House and and that movement, the motion, uh, it just gave me an advantage. And uh, because I was really, really quick, good feet, uh, good hands, I can get off the line of scrimmage. uh, And and so it's just really uh, the rubs and the picks and being able to do all those different things down there. Uh, really enhanced my abilities, and, and, and from there, I, it, it, it just took off. And then to be able to, on top of that, have uh, just a great organization, you know, from the top to the bottom, a great lineman, John Bunk, uh, Chris Walby, um, Lyle Bauer, uh, Willard Reeves, and we, we had a, just a great offense. And um, it was just, uh, uh, you know, just to be able to work with a, a good group of people just a fabric of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the great in the uh, playoffs every year. You know, just missing the Grey Cup. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, I think I got really lucky and to be able to have that opportunity to uh, help Winnipeg take it to the next level. Because before the
1: '84 Grey Cup, that you guys won. It was 22 years that the team went without winning the Grey Cup. So what was kind of the what was kind of the atmosphere like in the locker room and like you sense with the fans and the community stuff? were lots of people kind of down on the team and and whatnot because again it took them
0: this whole twenty two year drought before they won the Greek Cup again. <laughs> yeah, and that that is uh, it's really funny because in nineteen eighty two I came up uh, uh, at the end of the season again. Uh, when I finally decided this is where I wanted to play, and I got an opportunity to uh, to play in my first game in the CFL was uh, against the Calgary Stampeders in a playoff game. So I come in and, and uh scored a touchdown threw me an in route and, and we scored and we, we won. We won that game. The next game was against the uh, uh, Great Cup champions, Edmonton Eskimos, Warren Moon, that just finished winning the Great Cup uh, what four years in a row or five years in a row. Uh so we go up against them and uh we we almost win that game and but we don't win it and so um, again Winnipeg uh uh you know missed an opportunity to, to go to the Great Cup. Going to that first full season for me in nineteen eighty three, um, was uh an opportunity again to uh, to get back and really start to Things just really started to happen for us. Um, Dita Brock. I don't know if you remember the blockbuster for Tom Clemens. Tom Clemens and, yes. Tom Clemens and Tom how many
1: times can you go to the zoo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when you make a
0: comment like that, it sort of. Uh, although he was probably at the time the, the best quarterback in the in, in the CFL, things just didn't. Uh, he just didn't really re- want to be here, mm. and so uh, so Cal uh, again. Cal and Paul was. Uh, wanted to build a championship. I I think the pressure of the 22 years and not winning the Great Cup was really uh, heavy uh, on their minds and more pressure on them to get something, you know, uh, get an opportunity to go. So being able to make that trade and then bringing in a veteran backup quarterback like John Hofnagel, uh, was 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 key for us to be able to. Now we're on our way. Uh, and on top of that, you got we got a very good defense. Defense that that bring brought a lot of pain. Um, John Porter, uh, uh, Tony Norman, um, Sam McElwaz, Um I mean, those guys was fabulous. And uh, we had a very good um, uh, special team. And that's what Cal's specialty was: special team. And that's when I really start to uh, understand, he taught me a lot about being a professional, you know, showing up on time, working hard in practice, giving an extra mile. Although I had great work habits, I was a very strong receiver. I can bench press over 300 pounds, just strong. And, and I dedicated myself, like you said, we talked about earlier, uh, uh, working in the off season, that was my work, you know, training and training, and wanting to be the best. So after that 83 season, Again, we uh, we come close, but no no cigar, and it, it left a really bitter taste in our mouths. And so, coming into the 1984 season, uh, it was almost like um, I don't know. It, it was it, that we were destined. It was just it was, uh, we got Willie Reeves, uh, we got the, the, the running back Sean Keyhole, key Canadian running back. We had some great Canadian talents. Got Scott Flagel on defense. Uh, and things just came together for us it came together in a big way Jeff board Rick house uh, Poplowski myself with uh, uh, keyhole and and and, Reed and Clemens it was just uh, it, it was just unstoppable that year and, and uh it was just a fun year to play uh, of uh, football and like you said that that year when when 1984 and I tell st- students this story uh when I go to schools and talking to them uh, it, it's a story about uh uh, in the Western final, I remember uh, we were down by two or three points and we get into the huddle. Uh, and, and Clemens uh, says to me, Murphy, once you run a goal, once you run a bomb, we're going to throw you a bomb. So I go out to uh, the line of scrimmage and uh, on the snapping of the ball, I take off and run as fast as I can. And I just run by air Clash and I'm gone. And when I turn to look for the ball, uh, I looked. I could see uh, 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 Kevin Cornard. I believe it was was a blessing for for BC, and and he had a square shot on Clemens, and he hit him square in, in his chest. As the ball came out, it started to flutter. So it flutters. I had to stop and come back for the ball. As I stopped and I was going up for the ball, um, class, the DB grabbed my arm, and but I was still managed to be able to get up and tip 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 it to myself with one hand, and I caught it and I rolled it into the end zone. And I slammed the ball down. I was like, "Man, we're going to the Great Cup. We're going <laughs> to the Great Cup." And uh, that feeling there—I remember those guys, Joe and, and Jeff, and, and uh, Rick running over to me and just Murph, "That was a great catch, Murph. That was a great cut, great catch." Dan Hucklock, and, and 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 that moment, I kind of felt like this is it. We we finally uh, uh, reached, uh, uh got an opportunity to, to, to play in the Great Cup. So. Before the season, like we talked about earlier, there was the big trade, the
1: Dieter Brock for Tom Clemens trade. How did you guys react to some of those comments that he made, and what was your reaction to that
0: trade? It wasn't really uh, something that we really focused on. It just sort of uh, laughed it off, you know, because uh, we understood that he wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and and in the locker room, uh, we didn't really talk about it. Um, but I was as, you know, personally sort of disappointed because I was looking forward to playing uh, with Dieter. I didn't really know Tom Clemens. I didn't know that he was, uh, you know, as good as he was. Although, you know, I, you know, knew that, uh, I mean, why, why? Obviously, Cal and Paul knew what they was doing. But uh, to answer your question, there was really, I can't, looking back on it now, I don't really remember that there was much talk in the locker room about the comments and, and guys say stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. we just sort of brushed it off and knew what we had to do to, to sort of make this thing work.
1: So with your eight years of the Bombers, you actually played with quite a few quarterbacks. Um, wasn't just one guy there the whole time. So was Tom, was he one of the guys you really gelled with the most?
0: I deal with Tom. I, I, I deal with uh, Huff. Uh, we had, um, um, who else do we have? Uh, Sean, uh, Sean. Sean Southbury. Salisbury. Uh, Tom Burgess, I really like Tom Burgess. Uh, Nikki Hall. Um, Done again? Tom, the, uh, I came in, that was my last year. I didn't get a chance to play oh, with. Okay. Uh, uh, we had another backup quarterback named Tom Mickey. Uh, Tom passed away, uh, I think, a year ago, but he was a young quarterback. Uh, Sammy Garza was here. So uh, after after Tom and, and, and John, it was sort of uh, things. Just, just quarterbacks it was just after the quarterback after the quarterback after the quarterback, and uh, and it was all about the system. We had a very good system, and I, and I think that's why we were still able to con, to con, continue to to win and, and and play good football. So, what was the mindset of the team going to that eighty-four Great Cup? Again, like we said numerous
1: times, twenty-two years without without winning it. So many, so many times you guys got close, just couldn't finish the deal. Um, so going to that game, what was the mindset of the team? Do you guys think? You're in a win, you guys are
0: confident? Well, I think the climax was that 84 Western final against BC Lions. That's when everybody just sort of kind of, there was a feeling of that we got, we, uh, because we had a great season that year. I think, what were we, 12, 12 and 2? Uh, I think it was 16, 12 and 4. Mm. Uh, so we we it was very confident bunch. And I think uh, uh, we just, just, just full of uh confidence and I and, and and I think uh looking back on it that the guys was just just knew we had an opportunity to to win it, win this thing and but and, I, you, and you know game time it was a different story. Mm-hmm. You know, it was we started off uh down seventeen to three or seventeen zero. So the B C game? Uh no, this is the Great oh, Cup. the Great Cup, oh, okay. And uh again, it was it, it it never ever uh goes the way you plan it to, right? Uh again, there's this Florida boy out there playing uh, in minus minus what was a uh thirty or forty, whatever the temperature was, it was very cold, feels icy, and they break out these broom ball shoes. I'm thinking to myself, what are broomball shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and uh but that's the sort of uh uh, tricks that Cal knew, the equipment manager brought all of these broomball shoes, actually we, we brought them, uh, we knew that it might be icy the week before, mm-hmm. so we all brought them along with our cleats, and I, man, I, like I said, I, I'm from Florida, <laughs> I'm not used to running on ice, I didn't even really know much about hockey, so I'm out there in ball shoes, I had to switch over them to broomball shoes just to sort of get traction. And uh, and things just started to work, and the ground game started to work. Uh, we was able to move the football, and Tom made some great decisions. He was a very smart man, and so we were, we were just able to, uh, you know, get that confidence back. And, and And the football gods, I think, was with us that day. You guys stormed back and
1: went forty seven to the seventeen. <laughs> so it was quite the dominating
0: victory. It was, and, and, and that was the true blue Bomber fashion of football uh, to be able to demonstrate the the. True talent of that football club. Uh, and I think we have to go down in and, and history. It's probably one of the, the best teams uh, uh, for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I know the 60s the era was a great era, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, that year, 84 in my mind, 84 and 80, 1987, is probably the two finest uh, seasons that I can remember as a, uh, as a Blue Bomber. So, what does it feel like to know that you're
1: part of that team that broke? That streak and finally hoist the, the great cup for Winnipeg.
0: Man, you know that's just a part of history that uh, you know. I talk to my kids, my grandkids about. Although my grandkids now they're uh, they're so young, they don't really understand it. But once they really understand it, and what I do as part of my job, when I go talk to kids, high school kids here in Winnipeg, uh, it's something that uh, I sort of uh, make a a bit of a joke about, saying, hey, you guys, uh, young people, I know you don't know who I am, but I played back when the Winnipeg was good, the Bombers was good, we won a great cup. And when I first got here, it was 22 years uh, before we won a great cup. Sort of like it is now. You guys Mm -hmm. know that feeling, eh? And I started talking to them about uh, a uh, great great feel to be able to uh, walk down or drive down and parade down Port of Germain. I mean, it's absolutely, it's the greatest feeling uh, for a professional athlete. Not only for a professional athlete, but the city itself to be able to bring uh that sort of uh, pride uh, not only to the city but the province as well and and it was ju- it's just amazing to be able to sit here and talk about it and think about it it's just uh i mean something that uh, to be able to achieve something that glorious is uh is, is a once in a lifetime thing you know you look at some guys uh you know you they play 14 15 years i won't call them the names they uh, <laughs> and not to be able to get a great cup but to uh you know you know and and you know what I'll take uh, I'll take uh, you know winning great cups over you know a whole bunch of stats in a day sadly we're having another one of
1: those uh, droughts, great cup droughts it's been what 27 years since since you've won um, I mean you've been in the city this this whole time uh, since you retired do you have any ideas as to maybe why the bombers have struggled to win a great cup
0: no, it's kind of hard to really put, put a finger on it, and, and I think we sort of uh, a few years ago uh, just sort of kind of got back into tradition. Uh, Winnipeg at the time, uh, back in the day when I first came up, we had great leaders. Even before I got here, uh, John Hilton, uh, like I said, John Bunk, um, um, Nick Pastia. These guys were the leaders in the locker room. Um, the American players came, came up, and, and and they they sort of got an understanding of the game through the, through the leaders from uh, the, the the Canadian guys, mm-hmm. and, and I think we sort of kind of and the coaches we had great coaches that uh, that understood the game, uh, and so I think it sort of kind of got away from that for a little while. There was more of a power play in the front office. Uh, and, and they sort of kind of lost the tradition and the history heritage about who the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are. Uh, you coming through uh, the old Winnipeg Stadium? It's gonna be uh, it's a it's gonna be a lot of pain inflicted uh, on defensively, and it's gonna be a track meet uh, offensively. And uh, we had a lot of confidence, and but I think. Um, uh, over the last couple three years uh, with this regime, uh, the bombers have now they've sort of gotten back to the tradition. When I mean, you look at the helmets, you, you look at the colors. That's true. Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Back to the royal blue. Well, you back to the royal blue. That's tradition, man. You can't mess with that. Those sort of traditions. I'm not saying that's why uh, they're winning again, and but I, I, I think uh, it's just a, tr- a rich tradition and heritage that I walked into and was able to be a part of. And they sort of kind of got away from it, and, and I think we're getting back to it. So uh, I'm glad to see that.
1: Actually, I want to jump back to your um, your last answer there. But you said you, you, you wouldn't trade your career for anything. with the uh, three great cups for any stats or anything like that. Um, of course, when you retired, you, you led the Bombers in most, if not all, receiving stats, correct? That's right. That's correct. Until Mr. Stegall comes yeah, to town yeah. and, you know, puts up some pretty good numbers himself. Um, do you kind of feel – Underappreciated. I mean, you, mean you see, Milt Stegall's got a street named after him. You know, you go to the Bomber games, you see Steagall jerseys everywhere. You see the big steel pictures here and there. You won three Great Cups, man. You <laughs> won. You're the most outstanding player in 1986. Um, uh, MVP in a great Cup in 1988.
0: There you go. Yeah. So, well, you know what? Um, I um, got a lot of respect. Have a lot of respect for for Milt uh, to be able to. Go out and because he played with some bad quarterbacks, he played on some bad teams. He did, and uh, he earned everything that uh, that he got. I was very fortunate to be able to play. Uh, It wasn't hard for me to do my job because I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I had a lot of great teammates. Uh, People was the defensive guys would be watching Poplowski or House or a board. We had across the board. We was good. So uh, and and I had a lot of success uh, as a team. So I really don't you know, pay a whole lot of attention to it. As long as the the team uh, 84 or 88 90, uh, we get recognized for uh, doing something and going down as uh, one of the greatest teams in in blue bomber history. I think that's more important to me. You know, do I uh, sometimes think about uh, you know you know Am I underappreciated? Yeah, uh, but at the same time, I don't dwell on it because. Uh, social media. I get a lot of love in the city. People still uh, recognize my name and a lot of people get on my face, but when I tell them my name, I just see this big old smile on their face. So I get a lot of love in the city and I love the city and, and, and I know that uh, the people that, that grew up in my era uh, really understand and, and, uh, and uh, respect all the uh, hard work and effort that I put in the, to try and make Winnipeg a, a, a winner.
1: I think one of the best things that the team did in these past couple years is they started making all these old-school Bomber jerseys. So you go to a Bomber game now, you see the 21 James Murphy jerseys, you see the 63 Chris Wallaby jerseys, 71 Joe Pop jerseys. So it's like for you now going to a game, you see all – all these people wearing the jerseys of yourself and some of your your best teammates as well it must be feel pretty cool
0: oh yeah when well, and, and i get uh i get uh, a message uh, on a messenger all the time where people wanted to mean to sign that jersey they bought they want a murphy jersey and they want me to sign it and uh so yeah absolutely to be able to and that's what i mean to be able to be appreciated that's what's important to me to be able to uh know that uh you know what? We did something, or I did something, uh, to be able to invest. that's that's gonna be uh, memory, gonna be in the minds or in the fabric of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers forever, and so that's that's what's important, and and, and uh, it's not about me. It's, it's it's about the the team and and the city, and and uh, when when other CFL teams come in here, that they know. That uh, there's a rich history and, and tradition uh, with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It, it may have been a while since you know we uh, exhibited that, but I think uh, they know. And and when you look back uh, on uh, the history of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, that '80s uh, era, uh, I can I can feel good about the uh, the stuff that we did. Speaking of signing jerseys,
1: I brought my James Murphy mm-hmm. jersey today, so I'm gonna have to get you to sign that. All b- right, before well. I let you go, but um. So, yeah, let's talk about your, your most outstanding player season in 1986. I mean, 1985, I believe you your season was cut short because you were hurt, right? Uh, yes. So I'm sure as a football player that's devastating. So going into that 1986 year, were you extra motivated to
0: kind of bounce back and make up for the lost time? Going home after 1985 season, uh, I was going into my option year, and, uh, and I didn't really get much um, – uh, what well, you said, uh, attention from the management as far as uh, re-signing me. Uh, they was really giving a lot of attention to Jeff Boyd, the other receiver and all that, which is the well-deserved. Uh, so when I went home and I'm thinking to myself that, uh, like I said earlier, I religiously worked out. Living in Utah at the time, I used to put these uh, tire, uh, Inner tubes on my, filling with sand, and, and it wasn't running up these mountains, but we'll walk up, mm. down, and we'll walk up and down, and training. I mean, I mean, I was just religiously. So, 1985, I'm thinking to myself that uh, I'm gonna be the best football player in the Canadian football league. I didn't have any clue that it was gonna happen. But that's what I said to myself. I remember uh, talking to Grover Covington, I think. I saw him in the Salt Lake City airport, and I said that to him. He sort of kind of laughed at me. But I went back to Utah, back to Logan, Utah, Utah State University, and uh, I don't know, I just mentally, I wanted to figure out an edge of how to be the best football player. So what I did was um, I contacted this guy about transcendental meditation to be able to take yourself into a state of mind to where – uh, you just, uh, to be able to focus. And, and so he taught me how to, uh, you know, to focus. And, and I would tell, and give me these uh, positive affirmations. I'm the best football player that I can be. Uh, I'm, I'm a hard worker. All of these, had about five different affirmations I used to say over and over and over to myself before I went to bed, uh, go to the gym. Like I said, I was a pumping iron. I was at Utah State University campus, so I had the finest facilities uh, around And um, I don't know, it was just something that just, after about, they said take 21 days to change a habit. After about 21, uh, three weeks, I I could see a difference in my attitude and my concentration level, I mean, I used to do just little things to be able to get myself uh, an edge, take a football, bounce it on the wall, just playing with it by myself, throwing it up as hard as I can catch it when I don't have anybody else to throw it to me. Uh, I did uh, so many extra things, watching uh, old tapes, just to prepare myself for that 1986 uh, season. And... When I came back to Winnipeg and and I and, and first day of training camp, I could see how far ahead I was of uh, the rest of my teammates, and and from that point on, that's when I really felt like I had stepped up and became a leader, and the coaching staff sort of uh, noticed it and. And, and it just took off from there and and, and it, it was just an aura uh, about my about me and that the players kind of picked up on and knew that uh I was very serious about the uh, 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 the season that year and because we lost uh i think we lost some players and but no, I was just really really focused and and, and uh, it's probably one of the high, uh, times in my life where I was just so focused and, and, and spiritually as well. And always grew up uh, spiritually uh, in, in, in uh, down in Florida in the Southern Belt. Mm. My mom, my dad, we uh, was a church boy growing up, and so I had a lot of faith. But I think that that meditation really strengthened my faith and gave me confidence that I need to be able to go across that middle and catch the ball and and do some things that uh, I wouldn't normally do. Because you
1: put up some insane numbers that year. You had 116 catches, 1,746 yards. And twelve touchdowns, man! I'm <laughs> so very you. well deserved, most most outstanding <laughs> player. <laughs> I was
0: I was focused, and 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 and, I, and again, I look back on it, and sometimes uh, because I went through some rough periods after my football career was over, and uh, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I need to get back into transcendental meditation more more focused, but I was, I was scared because <laughs> at that point in my time, when, when you're talking about focusing yourself, I it really. I really didn't really realize how powerful the mind, the brain is, the, the sort of, uh, the, all of us possess the types of emotions and, and the power that the mind is. And uh, and, and, and uh, doing the research and studying, enhancing my my, uh, my my mind and my brain and just to be able to be the best player that I could be, Those that's, that's what happened for me. Although I had that ability all the time, I just didn't have that focus, I didn't have the maturity. And I think... Uh, in 1986, I really reached a level of maturity to be able to to go out and put up those types of numbers and and be the type of uh, uh, you know and, and also I was motivated because again I didn't get the attention from management to be able to uh, you know be for them to say hey you're our guy although they did and and as me I I, I was the type of person where I needed more hugs <laughs> right. and uh, although that. Um, you know, uh, but again, I, I, it was just one great, 1986 probably, one of the best times of my life. So what was that feeling like, knowing that all your hard work
1: paid off, and what, and how did you find out that you did win the MVP?
0: Well, I was uh, uh, invited to the Shanley Awards, uh, as they as they call it back in the time, uh, the CFL Award. And so I was nominated at the end of the year, although we got knocked out in the, in the uh, playoffs, I was nominated to uh, uh, to uh, at the uh, CFL a fellow so we're at the awards. We get the, it's a black tire fire and. And uh, we're, we're sitting there, I'm waiting, uh, like they go through all the other awards, the, the rookies, the old lineman, the Canadian. And you don't know at this point? No. At, at it's this like this an point. award show, like uh, the Oscars uh, or whatever. You're yeah, sitting there, no clue. Okay. No, not a clue. I'm just sitting there in my tux. I got the jerry curls at the time. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just my, my family is there with me. And, and another guy, James Hood, was the receiver. Uh, he played for Montreal. As a matter of fact, James, uh, I sort of was sort of one of my understudies here in Winnipeg. And then the Cal traded him to Montreal two years uh, previous. So ended up, he ended up being the, the Eastern uh, finalist, and I was the Western finalist. And I knew I had the numbers, but you never know how these sorts of things uh, mm-hmm. end up. And we, 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 we uh, get to the last award, and the guy at the podium is saying, and now the most valuable player in the Canadian Football League goes to a guy by the name of James like by the last name of Murphy. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I was just looking at the James Hood, and, and uh, at the time he's by the name of James. It was like, what James are you talking about? Yeah. But it was uh, it's probably again one of one of the proudest moments, and I really uh, realized that I I finally uh, reached the stardom, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I, again it was just just a great uh, time in my life.
1: Now, the other big individual accomplishment of your Bomber career is MVP of the 88 Grey Cup. But I find that team, was kind of a funny team because you Tom Clements, he retired the year uh, after the 87 year, right? Mm-hmm. You guys had a new quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the expectations going to that year? And then sure enough, you guys go on that crazy run in the playoffs. You knock off the Argos. So I think we're mm-hmm. first place. Um, and then the B.C. game is an insane 22-21,
0: very close game. So, Well, coming out of 1987, I mentioned 1987 team uh, uh, earlier, and, uh, and I thought that was probably one of the finest seasons, finest teams that we had. And uh, we lose to Toronto in the, uh, in the, in the Western Final. We got a home final, a Western Final here in Winnipeg. Uh, I was so confident before that game. I uh, I went by the LC and I bought a big bottle of champagne, thinking <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop the champagne uh, uh, after this game is over because we're going to the Grey Cup 1987 season. We we get into the game and and we just we just so flat, just flat from the start to the finish, and we ended up losing that game. It's probably the worst feeling that I ever felt uh, at that point in time uh, in my professional career when we were clear uh, uh, favorites. And, and they didn't have a chance. They just didn't have a chance. And after that game, it was just, uh, it was, you wait till next year. We're gonna get this thing next year. So then we go into 1988 season, and things go from bad to worse, right? Quarterbacks in and out. Uh, defense just couldn't stop anybody. And, but I think we sort of leaned on the tradition and we had a lot of fun, uh, Tyrone Jones and James West and James Jefferson and Rod Hill. Man, these guys enjoyed playing football. And, and David Shaw. We, we we had fun in practice, and we got along really good, but for some reason we couldn't put it together. Not only that, we had some of the, one of the finest coaches, and Mike Riley. Uh, Mike was a guy that uh, if he said to one of his players to run through that wall for for him, we would try to run through that wall. But for whatever reason, things was not happening for us. Uh, So, but we get into the latter uh, part of the season. And we again we we realized that uh, in the Canadian Football League, if you could put together a, a string of victories, anything could happen for
1: one month. It'd be good for one month. Exactly <laughs>
0: what's going on right now in the CFL, right? If uh, if uh, it's the same thing that was going on, so if you just you just got to get there. And we had got to that point to where we knew that uh, okay, we're not going to be ten and ten and six or eleven and five. We might break even. We might be a 9-9 team. But we still had the same James West, uh, uh, Tyrone Jones, myself. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Rick House. We had some really good football players. We had a new guy, Buster Rhymes. And, but at the same time, Bob Cameron and, and Trevor Kennedy, we had a good cooking, uh, kicking team, and we just put together a string of victories. We 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 again, like we talked about, the tradition and the history was still there for the bombers. It was the house of pain still. We still had receivers who can run up and down the field who can get things done. And, uh, and the coaching style was a little different. Uh, uh, Bruce Limmerman actually was the offensive coordinator at the time that had played in the CFL. Was a very good coach, so he understood and, and was able to. I think he brought his best game by drafting up plays and putting us in good position. And all of a sudden, and it just things. And, and again, again, always uh, whenever a game time comes, it's time for me to go to work and and uh, just throwing the ball. That was probably one of the hardest season, too, to get used to Sean Salisbury, the new quarterbacks. So, again, I was uh, a step late or um, just always something that was kind of obscure for us to, to move forward. he came from the NFL, right? He spent some time with – Yep. Yeah, he came uh, – I believe it was Minnesota f- – I'm not quite sure. I think he went to the was. Vikings after. Afterward, okay. Yeah. It might have been San Diego. I'm not quite sure mm-hmm. it was. But when he got here, uh, I think we had – who else did we have backup? I think it might have been Sammy Garza or – was um, Danny McManus at the time? I'm not sure. Um, he, he may have been, but uh, but in practice, I remember again to be for me and Sean to 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 build a rapport. He knows that I like a deep post. Uh, Jeff Boyd uh, or Perry Tuttle. Tuttle was a post corner guy, and I was a deep post or 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 fly or or hit screen guy. But basically, I wanted you to the quarterback to just throw the ball. I don't care if there's three, four guys out there. Throw the ball because I'm trained to be able to go up, catch the ball at its highest point, uh, and, and catch it, pay for it, do whatever I have to do. <laughs> when the ball is strong, it is ours. It's, 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 it's ours, so just throw it. And it took Sean a real long time to really understand that. He was going through his possession uh, progressions, his reads, and, and, and instead of, hey, just – Trust me, John, just throw it, and, and uh, it's more than a 50-50 chance that I'm going to catch the ball. And once he sort of kind of understood that about me, uh, we got along a lot better, and, and he started to take more chances, just like in that 1988 uh, Eastern Final in, in Toronto. He threw me a, a – it was raining, and it was, it was a game that we needed to win. That started of us off. He threw me a long bomb. And uh, and it was just floating. It was one of the best catches that I remember that I, had, that I made, and, and I caught it, and it was a 40-, 50-, 60-yard catch. Got us down to the two-yard line. We ended up scoring a touchdown and giving us the confidence to go ahead and win that game. So uh, once he got that confidence in me, he knew that uh, you know, he had some good receivers in myself and Tuttle.
1: So you guys actually lost the last three regular season games mm-hmm. of that season. Mm-hmm. So you're going to playoffs, new QB, losing 3 in a row
0: did you guys really think great
1: cup was a possibility still
0: i don't know if we we, we was thinking great cup at the time but what we was i think what we was thinking was let's we got to get to the playoffs mm-hmm. let's just get to the great the, the playoffs uh and, and again i keep making a point about the, the veteran guys like bauer or west and jones and man these was ferocious football players they were beasts and uh uh I just knew that. Uh, well, not only mean. The whole team knew that if we get an opportunity to go in and and especially playing in the East, uh, we were fortunate enough to be uh, representing or playing in the East at the time, and uh, to be able to play against Toronto. Or, uh, uh, um, although they had a better record than we d- did, they might have been a bit more confident, overconfident, like we were the year before. Mm-hmm. So that's why you know you just. Need the opportunities to get there, and at the time that 's what we were thinking. We just needed the opportunities to play and I think it helped us being able to play in that semifinal and while um, uh, who i 'm not quite, who was the western final I mean the eastern final that year was it? we played hamilton I, I think in the west in the eastern semifinal mm-hmm. and then we played toronto in the in the final. Uh, so we beat, we beat. Uh, that was a game. That's right because the, there was twelve thousand five hundred people at the stands that uh, for that Eastern final. Uh, so we won that game, Hamilton game. And so uh, Cal made up some T-shirts with about twelve thousand uh, uh, T-shirts. Uh, uh, and people would uh, now, you know, people everybody would say, "Oh yeah, I was at that game. I was at that game." And uh, I'm like, "How were you at the game? There was only twelve thousand t-shirts <laughs> sold, but over were you know twenty thousand people said that that they was there." But anyway, we won that game and, and was able to go to Toronto and and, and caught them uh, and and beat them like they beat us the year before, nineteen eighty-seven.
1: Mm, got your revenge. Yes, yes. So let's jump to. 1990, heading into that year, you guys made another quarterback trade, bringing in uh, Tom Burgess from Saskatchewan. He's back up there for a while. Um, but that was the last year of your career, correct?
0: You And your season was cut short again. You had a, Was it an ankle injury you had? or well, It was an ankle injury. I, uh, I broke my ankle, um, seven pins on a plate. As a matter of fact, they're still in my ankle uh, today. Uh, probably, again, at one of the lowest points of my career. Basically, uh, I was out there playing, I had a sprained ankle, and I got it taped up really good, and just just ran a simple curl pattern. Uh, curled up, caught the ball, and this uh, defensive back, his name was, I um, uh, uh, can't think of, remember his name now, but he was a small guy on the shorter side, and uh, made an ankle tackle, twisted me, and ankles just snapped, I'm laying there in pain, pain. And, and at the time, I didn't think, uh, I just thought it was just a bad sprain. Uh, but immediately I was taken to the hospital, and and uh, after the evaluation, they, they determined that I had a, a fracture. So I, I was in, in my end uh, of my career. Although in my mind, um, uh, I thought I could come back and play in 1991. Uh, I, and, and I might have came back too early because uh, I wasn't even totally healed, and I was, again, trying to run the hills in Utah, trying to get myself back together, and I don't think I really uh, actually uh, recovered. As a matter of fact, like, that was one of my last, uh, 1990 was in my contract, and I think there's a new, that new football league had came up, uh, the World Football League, oh, Okay. and uh, so I went down to uh, Orlando to try out for Don Masters with the head coach uh, at the time of that team, and and I was out there limping around, trying catching, trying to catch the ball, and ended up getting cut. So I didn't really even think I was going to get an opportunity to put the pass on again. Uh, but Cal gave me an opportunity to come back in 1991, and uh, but they ended up cutting me in 1991 because they didn't think I. Uh, uh, well, of course, obviously, I didn't have a, the type of speed and type of burst uh, that I had as a you know years earlier. But uh, at the time, I still thought I could have could have probably uh, uh, became, became more of a possession type receiver, uh, but they, 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 they wanted a, a burner, a guy who can get up and down the field, and, and I just didn't have that.
1: Before that injury, were you planning on retiring sooner, or in your mind, did you have quite a few years left?
0: In my mind, I I, I had quite a few years left, so it really caught me by surprise. It caught me at a time in my life where, uh, because I was just, uh, my wife uh, and I had gone through a separation. uh, She took the kids back down to uh, the States, uh, to Las Vegas. She wanted to uh, become a uh, entertainer, a movie star. and, And at the time, there wasn't much opportunity uh, like it is now in, in the movie industry for a young mm-hmm. uh, person who wanted to get in the industry. Uh, so I wanted to be in Winnipeg and she wanted to be in L.A. Uh, so things just didn't work out. And again, uh, it was a part of a time in my life where things was really f- uh, go sour. I mean, I had all this success, all of the success, and, and I felt like uh, I felt like uh, uh, my, my life was falling apart. But... Uh, uh, you know, things just didn't happen, didn't work out for me. I decided to stay here in, in, in Winnipeg, and, um, and, and just, uh, it just was a really bad time for me in my life. Do
1: you remember that exact moment where you decided, like, you know what, I think I'm just going to retire? And how hard is that? I mean, you, you play football your entire life, and then all things is one tackle, one play, and then just like that, it could well, all come to an end.
0: Well, I even tried to give it a shot. I tried out with the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. I went to a trial camp there, and John Gregory was the head coach who was previously an uh, uh, offensive line coach with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when he won the Grey Cup in 1984, I thought he would give me a better look. Uh, they decided not to sign me. Uh, also went to the B.C. Lions in their training camp. Dave Richie was the uh, head coach at the time, and uh, they decided not to, 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 uh, uh, to sign me. Uh, but at the time, I just started uh, a fish market at the Forks. I just opened it up. Uh, Well, it was already uh, there. I just bought into it with with a friend of mine. And so uh, after I was cut by the BC Lions, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it's time to hang it up. I still wasn't ready to let it go, but I wasn't really getting the opportunities. I thought NFL, but then I thought, no, I'm 30 years old, 31, and I, I won't get a shot at the NFL anymore, especially with seven pins on a plate in my ankle. So I, I decided that uh, you know what I'm just going to go back and try to get this business off the ground, and and that's what I did. I came back and started to focus on it. And uh, a year later, in 1992, I thought about possibly coaching. Uh, so I uh, Cal brought me in as a guest coach uh, uh, with the bombers, and I was coaching the receivers uh, uh, for training camp. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years. And then after uh, Cal was let go, and they brought in Jeff Rainbow, uh, I, uh, um, I got an opportunity to coach receivers with Jeff for two years, and 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 that was again a low point in my life where I just, I was thinking to myself, is this something that I really want to do? You know, I'm trying to run a business, I'm trying to coach, and, uh, and uh, didn't really have the skills uh, uh, for uh, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, but I did. Uh, I, I know how to work hard and. And I, and I sort of was burning myself out trying to do too much, uh, although back at the time I, I didn't really realize that, but that's exactly what I was doing. And so I ended up, uh, uh, after Jeff was fired, uh, my my desire to, to continue the coaching kind of dwindled, and I started to put more focus into uh, to uh, the business and started coaching high school football, and at the time, I was uh, my ankle was feeling better, so I started playing touch football in the Winnipeg Touch Football League, which was giving me a joy to be out there running around, catching the football, doing, you know, some activities. Uh, but at the same time, uh, my heart just wasn't, uh, you know, my, my heart was wanted to to, to, to play football and other things that I really wanted. I was so close to becoming a 10,000-yard receiver. Mm. Uh, uh, and I think that's probably, uh, when I look back on it now, I would, I, I would think I was probably made some better efforts at some of those balls <laughs> that was drawn to, drawn to me. But, uh, hey, you know what? I, I have no regrets at all.
1: Now, before I let you go and before I get you to sign my jersey, I got, I got one more question for you. Um, I'm going to talk some Hall of Fame. So, again, you talked about when you first got to Winnipeg, you thought we had igloos and whatnot, <laughs> and now you live here. And sure enough, you're in the – not only the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, but also uh, the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. So what does that mean to you being uh, acknowledged in not one, but two Hall of Fames?
0: Well, I'm actually in uh, my uh, DeLand High School Hall of Fame, the Utah State University oh, right Hall on. of Fame. So, uh, but uh, to be inducted into the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame as a player in 1988 uh, 1984 team and 1988 team, being a part of those teams, Again, to be able to be remembered by your province, by the people uh, uh, that you, you that we consider our home fans, it's probably um, uh, just just uh, it's just outstanding. It's 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 hard to really describe what it means to me because it's probably you know uh, something in a lifetime a lot of people won't. Really get an opportunity to to be a part of, uh, to be able to be on the walls uh, in a, in in the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame is up there with probably the the um, how should I say this, the uh, the the best of the best of the best sports people uh, the, from the province of Manitoba. That's pretty special, and uh, I really consider myself very lucky to uh, have been chosen. Uh, because, like I said, there are some some great athletes, uh, Olympic athletes, uh, Donnie the Lalonde. There's just so many Kenny planes, the swimmers, the uh, just Manitoba produced a lot of great athletes, and to be able to be mentioned in in, in the same breath as those uh, athletes, it doesn't get any any more special than that for me.
1: That concludes episode 13 featuring legendary Bombers wide receiver James Murphy. Again, I just want to give a big thanks to James for coming down to the studio in person to do the show. And an even bigger thank you to James for autographing my James Murphy Bombers jersey. I really appreciate it. Now, like I said in the intro, this week's show concludes season one of the Mantle Sports Hall of Fame podcast. But with that said, we are currently in discussions to keep this series going, and I am very confident that it will happen. However, like I said before, I cannot tell you when a season two would be released, but again, um, very, very, very positive that it will happen in the future. But with that said, I just want to take this time to thank everybody who listened to the Mantle Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Whether you listened to one episode or all 13 shows, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It was an absolute privilege to get to talk to some of these amazing, and I mean amazing guests that we had on the show. When I first came up with the idea for the podcast, I had no idea who I'd be able to get as guests, but I couldn't have picked a better selection of guests for these 13 episodes, and I am beyond lucky that I got to speak with them and share their stories to everyone. So to everyone who listened, a big thank you to to you guys, and to everyone who took the time out of their day to be a guest on this podcast Thank you guys so much because without you guys, there's no way this show would have been possible. And with that said, before I go, I got to thank the National Sports Hall of Fame because without them, this podcast for sure would not have been possible. I came to them with this idea a little over a year ago, and they believed in me. They gave me a chance. And they helped set me up with all these amazing guests. So a huge thank you to the matchup Sports Hall of Fame, especially their executive director, Rick Brownlee. I really appreciated all the help and support you guys gave, gave me to make this show a success. And of course, I also have to thank the Winnipeg Free Press for believing me as well for publishing our weekly series called Hall Call. So if you're unaware, these past 13 weeks, I'd write a story about that week's guest, and it got published in the Saturday edition of the Winnipeg Free Press. An absolute blast writing those stories and sharing them with all the Winnipeg Free Press subscribers. And hope all you Winnipeg Free Press subscribers enjoy the stories as well. And lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode and you want to see what other episodes we have done in these past 13 weeks, check out our website, hofpodcast.ca. You'll find episodes 1 to 13 on there. Also, the link to our Facebook page and our Twitter handle on there as well. And if you have any ideas for future guests that you'd like to see on the Mountable Sports Hall of Fame podcast, I would absolutely love to hear from you. So you can send me an email at hofpodcastgmail.com or you can send me a tweet on Twitter at TaylorAllen31. I'd love to hear your input, see who you guys would love for me to sit down with for an episode and season two moving forward. Okay, so I think that just about sums everything up here on the Mountable Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Again, I can't even put into words how much fun I've had producing this show, and I look forward to seeing you guys all again next time, sometime in the future. I don't know when, but sometime on the Matchable Sports Hall of Fame podcast.
0: Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and check out our website, hofpodcast.ca.